Thank you for being here this morning. For those who are visiting, we're glad that you're here. A lot of our folks are out of town this week, and uh, we are glad to have you visiting with us uh, today. This morning, we're going to continue a study that we began last week and talking about spiritual maturity, what it looks like. The Apostle Paul was writing to a group of Christians who were living in the city of Corinth, and uh, he said to them, in view of all the problems they had with competition, rivalry, division among them. They had marriage uh, issues going on. They had moral issues going on. They had legal issues going on uh, between them. They had problems uh, over spiritual gifts, what they were for, how they were to be used. They had problems, uh, gender-related problems in the church as far as uh, specified gender roles as God uh, has given them. They had uh, difficulties regarding the understanding of the resurrection, and uh, they had not as yet taken their collection uh, for the needy saints in Jerusalem. And so Paul is is writing to them, and as he gets to the end of all of this, he just says to them, you need to grow up. You need to be mature. You need to become mature the people in Christ that you have been called to be. And so last week, we talked about what a spiritually mature person looks like, and we dealt with only this first point last week. We talked about a spiritually mature person choosing to do what is right, even if he's the only one. That was certainly the case in the days of Noah, when God looked at the earth and it repented God that he had made man. And and the text says in uh, Genesis chapter 7 and verse 1 that God saw that Noah alone was a righteous man. And God destroyed the rest of the world with the flood. But Noah and his family were spared. You remember in the days of Elijah, it seemed to Elijah that he was the only one because So much of the time, Elijah, when he was standing in the presence of the king or the other prophets, he was the only one in that context who was speaking the word of the Lord and speaking truth. So it was with Micaiah, the prophet that Ahab hated. So it was with Daniel in Daniel chapter 6, when he was the only one who was praying to God, and yet he maintained his faithfulness even when it appeared that it was going to cost him his life. We noted also Peter when he was standing around the fire with the unbelievers after Jesus had been arrested. He was the only one, and Peter did not do so well. And he gave in to the pressure, and he panicked, and he denied the Lord, and he repented of that, and he wept bitterly because of his lack of faith, and he resolved to serve the Lord, and he continued in his service to the Lord. And we said last week that spiritual maturity is like, looks like this. Here is a person who is serving the Lord, and this person is committed to doing what is right, regardless of what anybody else chooses to do. This person has chosen to do what is right. If they are the only ones doing it, so be it. This person has made that decision to do what is right. Every one of us, if we're going to be spiritually mature, we must live with this resolve. But let me suggest to you, secondly, this morning, a spiritually mature person 
is a person who obeys God on the basis of his faith, of his trust in God, not on the basis of his understanding, of his sight, of uh, of his grasp of the situation. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 8, when the writer of Hebrews is cataloging the great men and women of faith, we are reminded that one of the outstanding features of Abraham's faith was that he trusted God, even when he didn't understand really what was going on. And what we learn from the life of Abraham and others of faith is that we don't have to understand everything about what's going on. We only have to understand whether or not our God is trustworthy. If he is, then we go. I can remember when... uh, when I was growing up, there, there were six of us kids in our family, and uh, there were times when my dad would uh, herd us all together and get us toward the car. Get in the car. Get ready. Get in the car. Get in the car. Where, where are we going? Where are we going? I, I want to know, where are we going? My dad wasn't big on unnecessary conversation. And my dad never subscribed to the idea that he had to explain to six different people at six different levels what he was doing and why he chose to do it and why we have to do it right now and why you have to say it. He didn't subscribe to that. My dad just wanted us to understand a few basic things in life. And one of the, one of the most basic things he wanted us to understand was this. I am the dad and you are not. So just do what I say. And uh, even though on occasion we had uh, a few very brief conversations about that, uh, I I can tell you that for the most part it worked out pretty well. Because I I can tell you in, uh, in all of my experiences growing up, my dad never put us in the car and took us somewhere that we didn't need to go or shouldn't go or someplace that was going to be bad for us. That never happened. My dad was trustworthy. The the text says in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 8, By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed. That in itself is amazing. Abraham's living in Ur the Chaldees uh, when God is calling him and separating him for a specific divine purpose. And the text says, and Abraham obeyed. And that's a wonderful example uh, for, for all of us that here's a man who heard the voice of God and he obeyed God. But here's the remarkable part of this obedience. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed to go out unto a place that he was to receive for an inheritance and he went out. So God is saying to him, look, I have something for you. This is going to belong to you. This land that I'm taking you to, it's going to be yours. It's going to be, uh, belong to your family. It's going to be given to your descendants. It's going to be your inheritance. Come on and I'll show it to you. And Abraham obeyed God. But here's the most remarkable thing of all. The text says... 
that he obeyed God to go out unto a place that he was to receive for an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he went. What an amazing thing. Abraham's living in Ur of the Chaldees. He is around uh, his family. He's around his friends. This is uh, where he is from. This is where his family's from. This is where he's grown up. This is where his life is. And God said, pack him up, put him in the wagon. Let's go. We're out of here. I'm going to take you to a place that's going to be yours. And Abraham obeyed God. And he had no idea where he was going. I've often thought about that reality and that conversation and, and how difficult that must have been for Abraham. It, it is, it's interesting to me. There, there are a lot of things that I think would challenge the faith of Abraham when God establishes the covenant with him and establishes the right of circumcision, I think that would be challenging. When God uh, tells him that he's going to have a child uh, and he is 90 years old, I think that's going to be challenging for him. But Abraham was about to give up his life. I mean, imagine. The voice of God comes and says, Take your family and go. Start moving. Where are we going? I'll tell you when you need to know. So Abraham is living in Ur of the Chaldees. It's a, it's a pagan area. Idolatry was practiced by, by all, even Abraham's family, as you know, Terah. And others, they were plagued with idolatry. And uh, Abraham is having to say, well, what's going on? Well, we're leaving. Packing up everything. We're leaving. We're moving. Well, where are you going? Well, don't really know. Are you kidding? You were born here. This, this, is, this is your place. These are your people. What do you mean? We're, we're moving and you don't know where you're going. Well, I don't really know. Well, why, why are you moving? Well, because God told me to. God? God told you to. Who is this God? What does he look like? I don't know. I've never seen him. You've never seen him. Some God you've never seen told you to move and you're moving. You don't even know where you're going. I don't know. I don't know what he looks like. But I trust him. Well, are you sure you trust him? I'll tell you something. He bet his life on it. He bet his life on it. That he trusted God. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 essentially says that to Christians about their faith in the resurrection of Christ. And he said, you know, if we're wrong about this, we are of all the people in all the world the most to be pitied. Why is that? Because we have staked our lives on this belief 
that Jesus Christ came out of that tomb on Sunday morning. Our whole life has been given to that. And the Apostle Paul is saying, your, your life is totally wasted if that's not true. You cannot be indifferent about the resurrection of Christ. And, and here we see Abraham, who is staking his life and the lives of his family members on this principle that God is trustworthy. A spiritually mature person obeys God not because he can explain everything about what God has said or about what God is doing, or not because he can explain everything about how God does all the things that God does. It's not that. The spiritually mature man does what he does because he trusts God. When the three Hebrews were standing in front of Nebuchadnezzar after Nebuchadnezzar had issued the edict, that when the musical instruments play, uh, played, everybody had to bow down in front of the image that had been set up on the plain of Dura. When, when they had to stand before the king, and the king was in a rage and a fury, and Nebuchadnezzar said, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, is it true that you have refused to bow down? I, I, he was furious with them, and he said, I'm going to give you one more chance. You just tell me that the next time the instruments play, you're going to bow down. I'll forget about this, but otherwise, you are going into the burning, burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who can deliver you from my hand? And immediately they said, you know, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, our God's going to deliver us. I'll tell you what he's going to do. Just as soon as you throw us in the fire, our God's going to send his messenger who's going to walk in the fire with us, and he's going to protect us from the heat and everything. That's not what they said. Because they had no idea what God was going to do. But the one thing they did understand was this. When they replied to Nebuchadnezzar, they said to him, O oh, king, we, we have no need to answer thee uh, in this matter. But there is something you need to understand. Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand. They were saying to the king, look, we don't know what God is going to do. We cannot explain how God does his business, but we trust God. And we know that our God can deliver us. He'll deliver us from your hand, dead or alive, one way or the other, we'll be delivered from you. But we're not bowing down to the image. A spiritually mature person obeys God, not because he knows how God is going to deliver him, he obeys God because he knows that God is trustworthy. Job, as he was enduring all of his conflicts, he is pleading with God to speak to him, to answer him, to explain himself to him. And finally, God answers out of the whirlwind and he says to Job, who is this that darkens counsel with words without knowledge? You, 
You are trying to understand something that you cannot understand. You are demanding of me something that you have no right to demand. A spiritually mature person submits to God and obeys God and trusts God. Now, not because he can understand everything that God does or everything about how God does it. If he could understand all of that, he would be God. The spiritually mature person obeys God because God has shown himself to be trustworthy. And I'll tell you what Abraham did finally in Hebrews 11. Finally, when God said, I want you to offer up your son, your only son. And the text tells us in Hebrews 11 that he had, that had gladly received the promises was offering up his only begotten son, even to whom it was said in Isaac your seed will be called, accounting that God is able to raise up even from the dead. Abraham decided, look, God told me to go and offer my son and sacrifice God said it, I will do it. What's God going to do? I don't know. But God promised you that your descendants would become a great nation. I know. Well, God said Isaac was the one, that the promises were coming through Isaac. I know. Well, how is God going to do this? I don't know. But I'll tell you what Abraham knew. He knew that God was good for his word and that God would keep his promises even if he had to raise Isaac from the dead. He trusted God. That's what spiritual maturity looks like. If God says come, he comes. If God says go, he goes. If God says sacrifice, he sacrifices. The spiritually mature person in the Bible is, is the person who is looking beyond their own physical circumstances. You remember when, in Genesis, beginning in chapter 37 and following, when, when Joseph is born, he's born to Rachel, the firstborn of Rachel. And then Benjamin is born and Rachel dies. And Joseph grows up. And as he comes of age, he is without his mother. And his brothers were jealous of him, his father favored him. He was the firstborn of his beloved Rachel. And his brother sold him into slavery. And he was carried down into Egypt out of his homeland. He was sold as a domestic into the household of Potiphar. What had he done? What had he done to deserve all of that? His, his life had been absolutely destroyed. Life as he knew it in Israel had been destroyed. His family had been taken away from him. His brothers hated him. His father, as far as he knew, he was never going to see him again. He is now owned by people who do not know the true and living God. They worship idols. He is owned by those people. And he is serving them. And then 
Then his owner's wife, she, she tries to entice him into immorality. He refuses. He does what is right. He ends up in prison because of that. Why? It doesn't seem right. First, he's taken away from his family. Then he ends up in Egypt. Then he's sold as a slave. Then he is lied about and mistreated. Now he's in prison. He befriends the butler and the baker. Promptly, when their lives change for the better, well, at least for one of them, he's forgotten about. Later, after God has worked out his plan in the life of Joseph and he interprets the dreams for the Pharaoh and he comes out and now he is second in command in all of Egypt and he is prepared for the famine and his brothers come and now he's revealing himself to his brothers. He says to them, this was God's plan all along. Don't be sad about what happened to me. Don't be sad about about my physical circumstances that I was taken away, that I became a slave, that I was in prison. Don't be sad about all of that. You need to know that this was God's plan for the salvation of His people. It was all about God's plan. Joseph wasn't just focused on poor me. When Peter and John are arrested... And they are beaten, and they are threatened, and they are mistreated for preaching the gospel of Christ. They rejoice that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name. I want to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. Spiritual maturity does not spend a lot of time moping and whining and crying and complaining about physical realities of life. They don't last very long anyway. At best, they don't last very long. Spiritual maturity is always looking at the bigger picture. Spiritual maturity is always looking past the physical to the spiritual implications that are behind it and that surround it and that provide the backdrop for it. Spiritual maturity is always looking toward not the things that are temporal, but the things that are eternal. These are the things that matter. And the, spiritual, the spiritually mature person is the person that sacrifices for the welfare of others. Paul, Paul was saying to these Christians in Corinth, you people need to grow up. And you need to understand that life is not all about you. All of this fussing and carrying on about, I have a right to eat this meat, or I have a right to observe this holy day, or I have a right to... Paul said, it's not about you, and it is not about your rights. This is all about God and His glory and His kingdom, and you need to get your mind off of yourself. And if you have to give up meats, give them up. And if you have to give up uh, your feasting, give it up. That's not what is important. The thing that is important is serving God, glorifying God, fulfilling the will of God. 
One of the things we're told about the faith of Moses is that when he was 40 years old, he had to decide if living as the prince of Egypt with all of the luxury and the power and the glory uh, of, the, of the palace, if that's what was more important to him, or was it more important to sacrifice those things and to do without and to become a nomad in the wilderness of Midian for 40 years. And then to go back and lead, God, lead God's people back into that wilderness for 40 more years. 80 years of his life he spent wandering in the wilderness of Midian. A spiritually mature person has to decide what's more important. The creature comforts of this life are serving God and His purposes. I will tell you something. In every local church, Christians have to decide what's the most important thing here. In every local church where there's more than two people, if it's just you and your spouse, you can fight it out at home. But outside of that, Outside of that, when God's people come together, somebody has got to decide what's the most important thing here. The spiritually mature person quickly focuses on the spiritual and eternal things. The other things, yeah, he's got a preference. Yes, yes, he would rather do this he would prefer to have this but Paul is saying that's not what what is important to me when I was with the Jews I became as a Jew why is that because he had to no because that's not what's important I don't want I, I've got a spiritual objective here I don't want anything getting in the way or creating a barrier here when I was with the Gentiles the Greeks I became as a Greek I, I lived like them why Be, because I felt like God was requiring that. No, it wasn't that. It's because I had objectives that were higher than this. I had objectives that were more important than what I was eating, what I was drinking, what I was wearing, what day I was observing. I had objectives that were more important. The spiritually mature person is the person in Philippians chapter 2. The person who thinks of others before himself. The person who serves others before himself. And the person who is willing to sacrifice for the benefit of others even when there is personal cost attached to himself. The spiritually mature person sacrifices for others. Spiritual maturity. What, as we are serving the Lord together in, in a local community of faith among the family of believers, God is looking for men and women who will grow up, who will be mature, who will focus on the things spiritual and eternal, 
who will get themselves out of the center of the circle and put God in His rightful place, make sure that the Lamb is on the throne. And then He's looking for individuals who will give their lives and spend their personal, emotional, physical, and spiritual resources accomplishing the purposes of God. That's what He's looking for. Those are the people... Those are the people who are following after Christ. This is the caricature to which we are called as God's children. And this is fundamental to the proper functioning of a local church. If you're here this morning and not a Christian, we, we invite you to come in obedience to the gospel of Christ. We're, we're asking you to come and follow Jesus. It's not about following us. It's not about being like us. It's about following Him. It's about being like Him. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is found in Him. If you've never confessed Christ and put Him on in baptism, you can do that this morning. And if you're a child of God who needs to reprioritize your life, and you need to bring yourself back to the Lord. I want you to do that this morning while we stand and sing.